0: Westside Unscripted, the podcast where the pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I'm Josh Bartels, uh, a deacon at Westside Baptist Church, no longer assistant to the pastors, uh, just assisting in a different way. And of course, I'm joined as usual by our preaching pastor, Peter Montoro. And so we're here today with you to chat about uh, a couple of practical theological questions. But before we do, you've brought a book, as is your typical practice. So what uh, what do we have this week? I have
1: two things. One, I actually have some notes here. I don't usually have notes, but I have some notes, but they're not connected to answering the question. That's true. So this is something uh, from that I had written for the sermon on Sunday, and uh, then I just had too many other things to say and want to bog the sermon down, but I thought it was interesting enough uh, that I wanted to share it on the podcast. Cool. So the nine Beatitudes that we find in uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 12, they're by no means this random list of things that Jesus thought were commendable. It's not just like, oh, let me see here, here are nine things that I want to commend. It's actually very, um, it's an intensely poetic composition. It's saturated with exquisite literary artistry, carefully shaped and structured into one uh, astonishing and interlocking whole. So I've mentioned a few times this poem divides into three sections uh, or three stanzas, as what a section of a poem is called, in which the Greek text, each of them, is exactly 36 words long. Uh, so in the first stanza, each of the four Beatitudes begins with describing what's an essentially negative condition. So the core of it, the beginning of it, the heart of it, especially, and this becomes even more obvious when you compare it uh, to the list that we find in Luke, Uh is this essentially negative condition? So poverty, mourning, meekness, and hunger are not things that we would normally think of. Let me be poorer. Let me mourn more. Let me uh, let me be hungrier and thirstier. But those aren't those aren't positive things. Um, and yet, as we have seen, each of these negative conditions, when carefully considered in the context of following Jesus, um, they indirectly point to a corresponding positive virtue. And so Jesus is saying, you know, paradoxically, blessed are those who are in these these difficult in negative conditions because they're following me because following me is wonderful uh, despite these negative conditions and then also these negative conditions point to virtue so you know being poor uh, points to being poor in spirit and to, um, to the humility before God of someone who has no resources right so it, it, indirectly points to that virtue. But in the second stanza, the second set of four Beatitudes, the section uh, that we began this past Sunday morning, it follows the same pattern, only this time in reverse. So rather than starting with these negative conditions, like poverty or mourning, it starts with a positive virtue, uh, like... um, Now my brain's going completely blank. Like showing mercy as we covered on Sunday or I kept thinking of being pure in heart because that's what we're working on for this next Sunday. So those are things that we'd initially think of as positive but if you actually pursue those things to the end if you actually are not just a little merciful but if you live a life of mercy if you live a life that pursues purity in heart well that's actually going to bring you back to a negative condition uh, because it's going to cost you something and it's not the way to get ahead inside of this broken world uh, system. Uh, And so then the, uh, and while each of the, uh, and so each of those things sort of works together. And then the third stanza, which is just the one, the, the, the ninth beatitude, a long beatitude, talks about the connection between those two sides, that you are blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, uh, for the sake of Jesus's name. And it mentions Jesus's name that, you know, when, when it's for his sake, um, these things are blessed. And really it's for following Jesus that connects these positive virtues, these difficult situations with the fact that it's worth it, because ultimately the Beatitudes are the footsteps of Jesus, and those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, they're going to lead to the cross, but they're not going to end at the cross, they're going to lead to resurrection, they're going to lead to the new heavens and the new earth, and therefore, these are the people who are to be congratulated. And so just that idea that how the, uh, the two sides, how they're both, they're both, they, they both, uh, there's an integration between the first two stanzas and it's that third stanza that ties those two together. Uh, and ultimately it's about following the steps of Jesus. And so that just struck me as interesting. And I'd planned on talking about it, uh, in, uh, the sermon, but ran out of time. So
0: yeah, some things wind up on the cutting room floor, but then aren't worth leaving there. So,
1: and the second thing, um, is I have a book called The Bible Smuggler by Louise Vernon. And we have like eight or nine of these books by Louise Vernon uh, in the library. And what she does is take uh, people from church history, pardon me, and adds a boy into the story, typically, or a boy and a girl into the story, children, so they're, you know, books for children, uh, and then uses them to tell. So it's a little bit fictionalized biographies, but one of the things that's interesting about Vernon's books, one of the reasons I wanted to have them for the library, uh, is that she covers figures that often get missed um, in other series of, say, missionary biographies. So she's not typically doing um, missionaries, she's more doing uh, those who have had something to do with the transmission of the Bible, Is most of her people. So, William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, um, Gutenberg, who printed the first Bible, uh, Erasmus, who edited the first Greek New Testament. So, those are some of the, there's others as well that she's done. And she's also done some about some of the Anabaptist figures, uh, which, you know, we wouldn't agree with the Anabaptists on everything, just like we wouldn't with others. But there's also things we can learn from them, even as we saw in the Sermon on Sunday. So, I'm reading this book about William Tyndale. This is actually my personal copy of it. And I'm reading it to our kids out loud. And I just, i it's it's I read it when I was a kid, and it's just reminding me of like how privileged we are to have the Bible in the English language um and the sacrifice that went so that the plowboys could uh understand. and I'm so thankful for Tyndale, but I'm also thankful that uh, Tyndale's work was not the end of the Bible translating story because if all we had was William Tyndale it would be you know very hard for modern day plowboys uh to you know the boys on the basketball court to be able to read the Bible for themselves, and so I'm glad that there are. People who have continued in his legacy.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's a, and we've got several of those books you said in the library, correct? Yes. We do. So anyone who wants to check those out can go down to the library right. at the church and get some, read them to your kids, let your kids read them. So, so that's a plug
1: that, for this book and a plug for the library because yeah. a lot of them are out of print, but we were able to get used copies of them in. And-
0: yeah, it's 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 a good it's a solid resource for this kind of thing. So the, today's question comes back to dealing with our personal sin. And so they say, I know that the Bible talks about confessing sins one to another, as in James uh, 5.16, but uh, other verses of the Bible call us to not just confess that we sin, but repent of our sin. So then what is the, what does it mean to confess our sins to one another? And what's the difference between that and repentance? Or how does that fit with repentance? What does it mean to repent and to confess?
1: Yeah. So I think in, in the context of James, so if you go, um, if you go to verse 13, verse 14, uh, the verse bef- uh, two verses before that, "'If there is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much.'" And so in the context of James, it seems to you know imagine a scenario where someone is sick potentially because of sin in their life, that in some way, maybe even that sickness is the judgment of God, um, whether naturally and in the course of the natural order or a particular judgment of God because of the course of action you know, that they've undertaken. Uh, and so part of that process is going to be acknowledging, okay, so what is going on in your life, right? So you're asking us to come pray for you. Um, and of course, there could be medical reasons that have nothing to do with sickness, that's nothing to do with sin, that's the result of that sickness. But there certainly are times uh, when someone is in a difficult physical situation because of bad decisions that they've made. Um, and so when you're asking someone to pray for you, you need to tell them the whole story. Uh, you need to confess so you can get that right. Uh, so I think generally in context, I'd want to, there's some puzzling things about that passage. So I'd want to, <laughs> before I spoke too strongly into the details, I want to dig into that. Uh, but um in general, as a as a general principle. So, you know, when you're asking someone to sort of speak into your life. So I think what I'm taking up just reading that passage now um, is not just reading it for the first time. I've read it before, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just looking over the passage without a deep study into it at this particular point, um, would be, you know, when you ask someone to help you, you need to tell them the whole story. And often you find, and this is something when you're talking to people that, you know, ask probing questions. Because often people will come with a problem and the problem they present is not the problem they actually have. And so you peel back the onion, you peel back the onion, you peel back the onion. And if you actually want to get help, you need to be willing to be honest about what's been going on in your life, uh, what the long history is, because often people are unwilling to do that. So that's something that I think is an aspect of it. I mean, another aspect of it is if you have sinned against someone, um, then you need to confess your sin to that person. Now there, you know, might be some exceptions. Like if your sin was, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to go there on the podcast, but th- there would be some cases where that might not be wise. But if you know you have harmed someone in some way, like so, someone's trying to figure out. You know, people are like looking at me weird, and it turns out someone has gone around and said untrue things about them. Then you need to go to the person you've harmed. You need to confess your sin and seek their forgiveness. You need to make things right. And you know, conversely, like we have also have the responsibility. Um, you know, you shall not hate your brother, Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall, anyways, rebuke your brother uh, and not, you know, suffer him to be judged for the sin that you're aware of uh, that he has, you know, committed against you or your sister has committed against you, uh, and you're not going to them about it. So it's something I'm really quite passionate about. In fact, it's something I'll have in the application of the sermon for this week uh, is that we need to not hold offenses. When we believe someone to have sinned against us, maybe we're wrong, but we need to go to that person um, and we need to make things right uh, with them, even not only when we've sinned against them, but when we believe them to have sinned against us and we can't just overlook it and we can't explain it away charitably or we say, I don't, you know, I just can't get over it. Then we need to we need to seek reconciliation from either end. And so part of that, you know, confession would be, you know, like in maybe in the James situation, it's more like, um, you're asking for help, but you need to tell the whole story. But also, just for community reconciliation, when you've sinned against someone, uh, you need to tell them that. Um, and when they, you believe them to have sinned against you, you need to not have that get between you because what happens is a little offense that could have been dealt with with an explanation now has becomes epic. You let it go a month, and it, it becomes big. You let it go a year, and it becomes enormous. You let it go a couple of years, and it becomes this wall that is like... Y- you, you believed all of these negative things about this person and, and maybe your initial provocation would have had a 30 second explanation. No, I, you know, I've heard, you know, both seen in my own experience as a church member and as a pastor and other stories I've heard from others where someone took something that was a total nothing, but they allow it to grow in their mind. That's why Hebrews talks about a root of bitterness growing up. And so just being willing to be open about sin um, is something that we need to do.
0: And so the confession, the relationship then between repentance and confession—it's not that the two things are totally separate, and there's a time where you're confessing sins and then a different time where you're repenting. It's really that confession is a part of what it means to repent in those yes. particular contexts. Right. That the confessing, the admitting in the James situation—that hey, I'm I need help financially, or my marriage is in trouble, or you know I've got a problem with my wife—but what and not revealing that, well, you know, you've been working 80 hours, and you haven't seen her, and you aren't even talking to her, you know? Right. Like, well, or you've been, not been working eight
1: hours and have a financial problem. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you <know, but> exactly. <laughs> what of those the, things would be relevant.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that then, if so that confessing and being willing to admit the root of the issue is an act of repentance, or, or at least the beginnings of an act of repentance in in a confession, And the same way within sin, that's just in your uh, offenses that you have with a brother or sister in the congregation, that it's that confession of admitting that you're wrong is part of what it means to repent of that sin.
1: Yeah, it's part of the, I would say it's part of the process of confession. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, confession in different, different respects. So it's like, you know, if you're asking someone to pray for you, then confessing what they would need to know to actually pray, Pray well for you yeah. is part of the story, you know. Uh, um, and uh, you know, if you're reconciling, then 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 that confession is going to be part of a lot of different processes of repentance. And it depends on the nature of the sin and who has been directed against. Um, you know what exactly that's going to look like.
0: Would it be then a corrupt use, or would there be a corrupting use of the idea of confessing our faults to one another if we are? just merely airing our dirty laundry for pity's sake or for something along those lines like that would be a poor use of
1: confessing to one another right yeah yeah the goal should be the goal should be reconciliation and change so simply confession that's not part of a repentance process is just not helpful
0: yeah it's either confessing uh Confessing your anger about a situation with a brother or sister or confessing with the as a means of manipulation. Yeah, there's, there's lots, like lots of. Ways of you pseudo, can misuse.
1: Yeah, there's lots of ways in which confession could be, you know, misused in manipulative fashion um, or even a. Oh. Uh, I, I this was not here in different state, different place, um, but I had a a supervisor who was confessing all of his violent and felonious uh, acts of violence against people who crossed him in the guise of a confession with the intent of intimidation. Uh, Because the truth was he was up to his ill deeds in other ways. He was embezzling money um, and was lying and cheating and stealing. And it was in a church context. It was really a messy situation. It was not my previous... This goes back a long, long time. So... Not not at my previous employer either, uh, but um, he would talk about, you know, all of the people he had harmed and how he had gotten away with it, and uh, retrospectively, um, because there was quite a bit of conflict there, his confession was a means of intimidation, because yeah. it was a little scary. He was like six foot seven or something, former football player, you know, college football player, and yeah, you probably so know who I'm talking so about. So there's
0: a, a real... <laughs> There has to be a heart that wants to repent. Yes, that yes. wants to change. Yes, <laughs> not just a confession for the sake of whatever the goal is you're trying to
1: achieve. The goal right. has to be. Yes, re- sorry, repentance. that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. <laughs> but this ha- is what happens yeah. when we when we talk without our notes. And
0: yeah, this is this is the podcast, folks. This yeah. is exactly what we expect. And this is this is I think what's really helpful is to get off into the weeds of things like that as a, as examples of uh, where our Christian lives can kind of go off the rails. Yeah. Even, even under the, under the guise, cause, cause we are, we are so good at, manip, at uh, deceiving ourselves to think we are following Jesus. I mean, this is what the, your teaching through the Beatitudes reveals mm-hmm. is that we are so good at labeling ourselves as following Jesus, whether we're confessing our sins or, you know, asking for prayer requests or whatever, but yet still kind of use it in an underhanded way to achieve our own goals. So,
1: you know, another example could be confessing all the sins you used to be guilty of. You know, so I've heard lots of testimonies like that, where people who have serious sins they need to be repenting of right now will be constantly confessing and reconfessing the sins that they believe themselves to have conquered uh, as a way of making themselves look better in the present. Yeah. Uh, and that would be another way of, you know, we could do a whole message on <laughs> all the all the ways in which confession, you know, disconnected from Repentance and, and humility is, if your confession never makes you look bad in the present, then I would be very suspicious of it.
0: Yeah. And repentance, that kind of heart of repentance is only something that the Spirit can bring about in us. That's not yeah. something that you can conjure up and put enough effort into to make it make a confession genuine. It has to be something that God works in us. Yep. So we've got to constantly be on guard and just throwing ourselves at the mercy of Christ. Yeah. So. Any other thoughts or comments here? Well, on this, I'm just on this looking trip?
1: around at my surroundings, and we are not in the office anymore. <laughs> we are we We're are not. in an undisclosed location in an underground bunker.
0: Yep. Um, we decided to take this underground just in case.
1: This is we are literally recording underground, yep. and this is this is pretty cool.
0: This is the, this. These are the new digs of Westside Unscripted for the time being. It's uh, also
1: pretty cool in here. It, you it you is, have a hoodie. I I'd, do. I, I I should bring one next time. Yep it'll warm up so yep indeed. <laughs> it'll be warm in here
0: <laughs> right exactly well this has been another episode of Westside Unscripted coming to you from the basement of an undisclosed location which is
1: pretty obvious where we are but nonetheless well it's obvious for those that are members ob- if you're not yes. if you've never been here it's not obvious you should no, come it's not. You should come uh, join and then yeah. then it would be obvious
0: and I would be glad to have you over here to hang out in my in, in my uh, pad as they say so, well, if you've got other questions that you want answered on, on the Unscripted podcast, uh, questions preferably related to theology and culture and, the, and not the location of our podcast, we uh, would love yes, to have, have discuss you discuss We would love to have you send those questions in. You can still reach me at Josh at Bible Direction for Life, or of course, you can always catch me at church. So, thanks again for listening, everybody. And we hope you join us again next week for more talk about theology and culture here on West Side Unscripted.